You have put me in my lowest pit, in the darkest depths. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. My soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord? How long? If I haven't met you before, my name is Grant. I'm glad that you are here. Let's take a big deep breath and dive in together. I walked into my very first day as a seventh grader at Vincent Massey High School in Brandon, Manitoba, the same way I think all middle schoolers do, with fear and trepidation. And my fear was transformed immediately into a puppy love fest the second I laid eyes on Kathy Cornell. Now, I'm going to remind you, puppy love is real to puppies, okay? I saw Kathy, and my prayer life grew because I began to pray, Jesus, please put her in my class. Please put her in my class. I'm not going to ask for much, God. Would you please put Kathy in my class? And Jesus answered me and said yes, and it was a sign. It was a sign that we were supposed to connect. That was God's plan for me. And for the next year, I emoted my loving devotion to Kathy Cornell out loud inside of my head. I said it repeatedly. I care about you. But I said it silently because girls are scary, right? And, and surely she knew how I felt, that she could tell by the look in my eyes that there was some connection, that it was God's plan for the two of us. Surely she knew it, right? Wrong. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. With no action, no breakup, no foreshadowing, she started going with my former best friend, Murray Foster. I'm still bitter, can you tell? All right? She didn't even break up from our imaginary relationship. I mean, how in the world could you do that? And the pain and the betrayal and the hurt and the loss and the loneliness led me to a question that so many of us ask. What did I do to deserve being in this prison of emotions? Now, looking back, God had a much better plan in play. I'm one of those guys, I'm married so far above my head, it's almost criminal. But that didn't take away the sting of what happened all the way back in seventh grade. Have you been there? Some of you are like, uh, Grant, I can't even remember back that far, all right? Stick with me. Maybe you're there right now. But we often answer, end up answering that question, right? What did I do to deserve this? That's a good question. And to answer that question today, ladies and gentlemen, let me introduce you to a good friend of mine. His name is Joseph. I'm going to plow through the low moments of Joseph's life because I believe we can meet him in those questions. So here's a number of them as we walk through scripture together. Joseph is born into a dysfunctional family. Some of you can relate to him just in that simple, that simple statement. Dad has issues. And Joseph's low journey begins with a low moment that he didn't ask for or have any responsibility in. It's the low moment of favoritism. Okay, parents, that's a gift you do not want to give to your children. I'm just saying you don't want to go there. Okay, now the, the scripture says this. It says now Israel. Okay, so let me get the picture for you. Joseph's dad, his name is Israel. Israel's name used to be Jacob. Famous story. Jacob wrestled with God and lost. So God renamed him. But Israel apparently didn't learn all the lessons that he needed to. So scripture says this in Genesis 37. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he'd been born to him in his old age. 
And he made an ornate robe for him. That doesn't seem like that big of a deal. But here's the repercussions of playing favorites. Verse 4. When his brothers saw their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Okay, now I know Christmas hadn't even, Christmas hadn't even been invented yet at this particular point. But I could imagine at family gatherings, this is how it went in Israel's family. Let me introduce you to his 12 boys. It goes like this. Reuben, sweater vest. Simeon, you get a sweater vest. Levi, you get a sweater vest with a little white collar. That's funny if you get it. Okay, all right. (laughs) Judah, you get a sweater vest. Issachar, sweater vest. Zebulun, sweater vest. Dan, sweater vest. Naphtali, you get a sweater vest. Gad, you get a sweater vest. Don't ever call your kid Gad. He will hate you. I'm just sharing, okay? Asher, sweater vest. Benjamin, a little baby onesie sweater vest. And Joseph, you get a North Face jacket. That's how it worked. And Joseph felt the pain of that. Parents... Embrace the individuality of your kids, but don't give them the dysfunctional gift that keeps on giving, because I promise you, it will rip your family right down the middle. Now, Joseph didn't ask for that low moment of favoritism, but he got it, and because of it, his brothers hated him. Some low moments happen to us. We have no control. Other low moments we bring on ourselves. Let's be honest. Joseph's going to flip the page here. Joseph had a gift. God spoke to him in dreams. To the dreamers in the room, I want you to know, we embrace all the spiritual gifts that are going on, but I'm going to say something to the dreamers. Your dream needs to be accompanied with discernment. You understand that? Not everything that God says to you needs to be shared with everybody else. (laughs) Can I get an amen? Amen. It's not supposed to, right? If you need an example, here it comes. It's a low moment of pride and oversharing. Joseph has a dream. And he gets puffed up because of it. And he comes to his brothers and this is what he shares. Verse 5, Genesis 37. Joseph had a dream and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. Hey guys, I had this amazing dream. Someday you're going to worship me. Isn't this awesome? (laughs) Not if you're one of the brothers. Joseph's brothers, they take low to a whole new level. They actually grab their brother and throw him in a pit. The Bible calls it a cistern. It's a deep hole. And it's a low moment in Joseph's life. It's a moment of abandonment. Some of you have felt this before. Joseph's in a hole, and the Bible says his brothers are actually topside, having lunch together, trying to figure out what they're going to do with the favorite son of their dad, Israel, and then comes an opportunity. The Bible says, so when the Midianite merchants came by, some traveling salesmen, they pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. Hey, Joseph. Yesterday, you were your father's favorite son. Now, welcome to the world of slavery. A low moment of rejection, a low moment of betrayal, and I'm sure at some point, Joseph was asking the question, what in the world did I do to deserve this? Long story short, Joseph gets carted off to Egypt, and he's put into the employment as a slave under a guy by the name of Potiphar. Potiphar has a wife. I don't have a politically correct way to say it, so I'll just say it. Potiphar's wife gets the hots for Joseph. She keeps trying to seduce him. She propositions him. Come and sleep with me. 
And Joseph makes the right choice. He runs. You should read the story. Make sure that I'm not lying to you. He runs. He actually leaves his clothing in her hand when she tries to grab a hold of him and compel him to do something he knows is not right. He does the right thing. And his reward is not exoneration. Instead, it's false accusation. If you want to read the whole story, Genesis 39. My friends, here's something we need to just wrap our head around. Sometimes there's a price to be paid for doing the right thing. Sometimes you do the right thing and you will actually suffer because if you have made the right, good, and godly choice. Joseph refuses to sleep with his boss's wife. She flips the story, lies about it, says, he actually tried to seduce me. And here's the result in verse 20. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And you can't convince me that Joseph didn't sit in prison that day and think to himself, why in the world is this happening to me? I did the right thing. It's another low moment, and he's not done. It's followed by the low moment of bondage and imprisonment. He's in jail. He's in jail. The whole story, Genesis 39 through 41, you can read it for yourself. And in Genesis 39, there's a verse that has always troubled me. This story is not nice and tidy and clean. And clean. In fact, there are moments in the story when I'm just kind of like, I have no idea why this says what it says. Genesis 39 verse 20 says this. But while Joseph was there in prison, okay, remember, he's not at the Hilton. He's not at Starbucks. He's not going through cruising coffee. He's in prison. And if you've ever seen a Middle Eastern prison, it's a hole in the ground. That's where he is. While Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him and showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. Okay. Back up the truck and shut the front door for just a second. Can we talk about this just a little bit? The guy's in prison for doing the right thing. And the Bible has the audacity to say the Lord was with him and showed him kindness and granted him favor with the warden. If I'm Joseph in this moment, I'm in prison and here's what I'm praying. God, if this is what it feels like for you to be with me, go be with somebody else. Go be with my brothers. Go spend some time with them. Go be with my dysfunctional dad. Go and share your great presence with somebody else because if this is what it means to have you this close, I'm not sure I want you to be here anymore. I mean, let's just be honest, right? It's just like I'm friends with the warden. Can I be honest with you? I'm Joseph and I don't want to be friends with the warden. I don't want to know the warden. I don't want to be best friends with somebody who's in charge of a jail, especially when I'm on this side of the bars. I'm not interested in that. God, why am I here? Why don't you deliver me? Joseph's low. And just in case you're wondering whether or not, wow, you know, for a week or a month, I think I could probably get through that. 11 years. 11 years. He rots in a prison cell. But God was with him and showed him kindness. And he's got a buddy in the warden. Good for him. Before you get me wrong, let me ask you a question. What do you do when you're low? Like when you just find yourself in one of those low moments, 
Remember last week we talked about culture says we're supposed to bounce and stick the landing. And God actually has a different plan. He actually says when you're low, I actually want you to go lower. And in his good time, what does the Bible say? Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. So I made some suggestions. Here's some stuff you could do in a low moment. You could whine, complain, and sulk. It's an option, right? And boy, some of us, we're really good at this. Life's not fair. I can't believe I'm here. It's everybody else's fault. Nobody loves me. Everybody hates me. I guess I'll go eat worms. I mean, sulking is an option. It's an option. Number two, you can try to find a way out. You can try to find a way out. I'm going to go and get out of this on my own. I'm going to dig, claw, or, or, or climb. I'm going to do whatever I have. Some of us get caught up in the positive confession of it. You know, I'm going to visualize my way out of this hole, and I'm going to levitate myself with good thoughts. And then we open our eyes, and where are we? We're in the pit. There's something else you can do. You can plot revenge on anybody who puts you in the pit. We're pretty good at this too, right? We allow the cancer of revenge to creep into our thinking and we begin to plan and plot pain for those who've hurt us and we ignore a very clear biblical command when it comes to revenge. What does God say? God says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Do you know why? Because anytime we try to get revenge, it does not go well for anybody. God says, you're actually not good enough to handle revenge, so you need to leave the vengeance to me. I'm going to balance the scales. We just, we just ignore it. So here's an interesting thought. The next time you're thinking about revenge, I want you to be reminded you're actually being irreverent because God said, that's mine, not yours. But we do this, right? In the tumor of bitterness, it grows and we commit murder in our minds because somebody's got to pay for the fact that I'm in this low moment. And if you can't get angry with the people who put you there, even if it's yourself, here's a fourth option. You can get angry with the God who made the pit. God, why did you put me here? If you loved me, I wouldn't be in this hole. And somewhere along the line, the only deduction I can come to is that you stopped paying attention, you fell asleep at the wheel, and now here I find myself in this hole. And God, I have no idea how that makes me feel about my relationship with you. Because if you loved me, instantaneous deliverance. You know, I think there's got to be a better way, don't you think? I mean, I think we've perfected the first four, but, but I actually believe there's, there's better stuff to do in a low moment. I know that's horrible English, but I hope you'll forgive that. Here's some better stuff to do in a low moment. The Bible actually says we're supposed to lament. Lament, l lamenting is kind of this untouched unfiltered moment where you grieve and mourn with purpose. And it's so different than just whining and complaining because lamenting actually releases the tears so that God can wipe them away. I, I was talking with somebody after the last service and they laid out this, this unbelievably heartbreaking situation. And when we were done, I put my hand on his shoulder. I said, have you ever grieved it? Here was his question. Am I allowed to? Sometimes you need to grieve the hurt and the pain. Whether you brought it on yourself or it was done from the outside, sometimes you need to grieve and mourn that loss. And I'm going to say this to you. I hope you'll take this with you. Grieving is not weakness. 
fact, I've learned this in 28 years of being a pastor. If you don't fully enter into grief at some point, you can delay it, but you can't defer it forever. It's got to find a way out. John 16, very truly, I tell you, Jesus is speaking. You will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. So we're saying, don't live in denial. Enter in, experience God. How, does, how is Jesus described in the Old Testament? He's a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. You can go there. He'll meet you there. Here's another option. You can be honest. You know, this is an interesting story because much of what happened to Joseph actually happened to him. He didn't choose to be the favorite. He didn't get to pick his spiritual gift. God just gave it to him. He didn't even get to choose his family. Some people would look at Joseph and say he's an innocent victim. And I want to just stop for just a second. There are some innocent victims in this room. And I want to tread very, very carefully because you are thrown into the pit you're in by by someone who chose evil. For some in the room, I'm not suggesting you had anything to do with the evil that was done against you. You had no responsibility for the pain that was inflicted against you. And I want you to hear that. I think you need to hear that. There are some innocent victims, but that's not the case with Joseph. If you read the story, his arrogance, his lack of wisdom, his lack of humility, his mouth contributed to where he was. I mean, I just think back, I wonder how different Joseph's, I wonder how different his life would have been if he would have stopped for a moment and said, God, you gave me this dream. Before I say a word, do you want me to share this with my brothers? But what do we do? We just charge on through. I just wonder what would have happened if Joseph would have stopped. This is his moment of clarity. And maybe, maybe you're with me today and, and you understand this. Anybody else notice that the low moments of your life actually are great moments of clarity? When you just see things as they really are? Last week I introduced you to David and his low moment. Can you listen to David's low moment of clarity? Psalm 51. I know my transgressions. I know my sin, God. My sin is always before me, right in front of me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you're proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. This is David owning it. He realized, I dug my own pit. So for those who were not innocent victims, let me ask a question. Have you ever just gotten really, really honest about how much your actions contributed to the excavation that's been going on around you? My grandpa was a really wise man. He was a simple guy, but he was a wise man. And he always used to say this, Grant, if you find yourself digging your own hole, stop digging. (laughs) Stop digging. Here's the suggestion that goes with that. Be still. Stop. Breathe. Remember what we talked about last week in the low moment? Learn what is it that God wants to say to you. When you're low, go lower. Lower in words. Lower in humility. Lower in activity. There's a correlation between actually experiencing the presence of God and being still. Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God. They are inextricably brought 
together. And here's another suggestion. Be open to God's presence. I mean, could it be that in your low moment, God's going to show you himself in a completely different way? That you never would have experienced if you hadn't actually come to that low place. Listen to David's words again. If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. Psalm 23, we read it at funerals. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you're with me. With me on the mountaintop. With me in the valley. God meets Joseph in the low. His heart begins to change. Joseph enrolls in what I would call the university of humility. From which no human being has ever graduated. We're all in process when it comes to this one. While he's in prison, he actually learns how to use his gifts wisely. He begins to build relationships. He learns about forgiveness because he actually has a series of other dreams. And a couple of professionals that were working with the king start consulting him. And, and, and Joseph's last words to them as they're getting pulled out of the pit is, hey, don't forget about me. Don't forget about me. And guess what they do? They forget about him. And he's there even longer. 11 years, he prays and hopes for relief, and it doesn't come with the immediate deliverance that he wants. And isn't that what we all want? God, just fix it. Make it better. Get me out of here. Joseph's life doesn't work that way. It's slow, steady progress. Why? Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. I don't have time to go through the whole story. It's amazing. You should read it. Genesis 39 or 37 all the way through Genesis chapter 50. It's a beautiful, heartbreaking, heart-wrenching, real human story. But let me fast forward. God actually in a very slow piece of work begins to elevate Joseph. In fact, he elevates him to a place where he not only is out of prison because he was faithful with a little, God actually blesses him with a lot, and he ends up being second in control of an entire nation, a world superpower, the nation of Egypt at that time in history. And Joseph has been ministered to by God. God is actually showing him there's something coming, Joseph. It's a famine. You need to actually lay food aside so that when the famine comes, it doesn't affect all of these different people. And so Joseph suddenly finds himself. He goes from the pit to the palace and he's learning these lessons. And then the famine sets in and it sets in in such a way that it's so wide reaching it begins to affect Joseph's family back home. And guess where they go looking for food? Egypt. And Joseph finds himself suddenly face to face with the very people who stuck him in the pit. I call it the low moment of revenge. Genesis 42. Listen to the description. Now Joseph was the governor of the land, the person who sold grain to all of its people. And when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. Interesting side note, the dream came true. So apparently there was nothing wrong with the dream. It just had everything to do with how the news was delivered. That was the issue. They bowed down with their faces to the ground. And as soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them. But he pretended to be a stranger and he spoke harshly to them. Oh, there it is right there. There's the moment. 
I got you exactly where I want you, and I have both means and opportunity to make you pay. You thought you took me to a low moment. I'm going to dig a pit for prison like you guys have never experienced before. Here it comes. I'm going to get even. You put me in the position of being falsely accused. You sold me into slavery. You abandoned me. You opened the door to my prison and then locked it behind me. You risked my life. You, 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 you. Whenever I hear that, I always hear God the Father whisper to me, hey Grant, what about you? You sinned and killed the Son of God. You lied, you cheated, you stole. And because of that, Jesus had to die on a cross. That's why we do Easter. You've got to go through Good Friday to get to Easter Sunday morning. And the responsibility is on you and every other human being in the room. So we all stand equal in need of a Savior, don't we? What about you? And then God says this. I know you want revenge, but here's the deal. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. God, I don't know how to do that. Remember I talked at the beginning, uh, culture says when, when you hit a low moment, you're supposed to bounce and stick the landing. Last week I drew out the diagram for you. You hit that low moment and you learn all along that low plane. And then you have that moment where, where even, if you, even if you landed on your feet and have summoned up all of your strength to try and make it right, here's what God asks you to do as a follower of Christ. When you're low, you go lower. You say, God, I'm no different than the people I want revenge on. My sin nailed your son to a cross and I need your forgiveness as much as anybody. And if you can find it in your heart to forgive me, how could I possibly withhold that from anybody else? Because you're going to deal with them, not me. So I, I, resign my, I resign my position as judge, jury, and executioner. And I find myself equal at the foot of the cross. You said to go lower. So here I am. And I'm not moving until you lift me. This takes courage. This is vulnerable. This is exposed. It rips apart all of my, all of my philosophy. It rips apart all, all, all of the, this logic in my mind as to how God is supposed to balance the scales. But you know who I find when I'm down here? The King of Kings washing feet. The King of Kings kneeling at a rock saying, God, if this, if this cup could get past, I find the Creator loving the created, he'll meet you in the low. Let me add one more. It's a low moment, and some of you are going to be bothered by the fact I put it in the same category, but it's the low moments of forgiveness. It's not low emotionally, it's low spiritually, because you've got to put yourself in the same category of need as those who may have hurt you. You have to forgive as you've been forgiven. You've got to take a low posture and a low tone. And you need to lower the number of words that are pouring out of you. You need to have a low perspective of yourself. And when you do that, God starts unlocking doors. 
and setting people free. Fast forward all the way to the end of the story, Genesis chapter 50. Can you watch Joseph do so now? Remember, this is the cocky, arrogant, prideful young man who lacked discernment, who then got stuck in a hole and God was with him. You want to see the outcome of what happens when you spend 11 years with God in a hole? All of a sudden, he's face to face with his brothers and here's what happens in Genesis 50. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You know what you learn in the low moments? You learn that he's God and you're not. That's what you learn. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me. He's talking to his brothers. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what's now being done, the saving of many lives. So don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. Listen to this. And he reassured them and he spoke kindly to them. Where do you think Joseph learned that? And God was with him in the prison. And he showed him kindness. You know what I love about this story? At the end, Joseph gives to his enemies the same grace that God gave to him in the lowest moments of his life. And at the end of the 11 years, if you would have sat down with Joseph and said, Joseph, would you do it again? I believe Joseph would have said, uh, I would do it again if I knew for a fact that I would understand that God is always with me and that I would always get to keep this new picture of who God is. If I got those two trophies, I'd do it all again. So what are we learning? Last week, life's lowest moments bring with them the greatest opportunity to see Jesus as the source of all hope. Let me say it again. Life's lowest moments create the greatest opportunity to see Jesus as the source of all hope. I don't know what your story is today. And truthfully, you don't know mine either. But if you find yourself in a low moment, in fact, let me back it up. If you find yourself in a high mountaintop moment today, could you stop for 30 seconds and say, Jesus, thank you. Thank you. If you find yourself in a low moment, here's the questions that I'm asking myself right now. Can you see him? Will you accept him? Will you reach for him instead of trying to claw your way out? Will you be still and know that he's God even in the low? All weekend long, I've been praying with people. The stories of pain are just they just wreck my heart. But there's one source of hope. Maybe it's been 11 years. Maybe it's been 24. Whatever it is, when you're low, go lower. I promise you, God promised, I'll show up. And it may not be instantaneous deliverance. But one day I promise you. I'm going to put your feet back on solid rock. And you'll be able to sing again. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. You know, maybe you're here today and you don't even, you don't have a relationship with Jesus. So it's like, how in the world can he be the source of my hope if I don't even know him? 
If nothing else comes out of this weekend, I hope and pray that there will be an opportunity for you to know Jesus. Because I've seen him show up in the most hopeless situations. Sometimes he delivers, sometimes he heals, sometimes he changes perspectives, but he always shows up. And my prayer is that he'll show up in your life today and that you'll reach for him. And I'd love to take an opportunity to do that right now. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? So let's do the work right now. If you are not in a low moment, would you just take a moment and thank God? Say, God, thank you. Thank you for level ground. If you're in a low moment right now, would you pray, God, would you give me the courage to go lower? I want to humble myself. God, I don't want to try and get out on my own initiative. So Lord, right here, I'm honest. I want to, I want to hold out my pain, knowing that you understand grief and loss more than anybody. And if you're here today and you don't know the Jesus that we've spent the last 32 minutes talking about, my prayer is right now in your heart, that you'll pray this simple prayer with me right now. Jesus, I need you. I need you to lift me because I don't know if I can go any lower. God, I confess what I've done to contribute to my low position. God, help me to forgive those who may have contributed to this low position, but God... Regardless of how I got here, right now I ask. Would you forgive me? And heal me? Restore me? God, would you buy me back and redeem me? And Lord, as long as it takes, give me the courage to celebrate the fact that you're here. That you went low to save me and now I receive you as my savior and I will trust your timing because now my pain has purpose. So God, I confess with my mouth and believe in my heart that you raised Jesus from the dead. Would you be the savior and king of my life? I pray these things in Jesus' name. With every head bowed, every eye closed, you're just having a moment if you prayed that prayer with me, would you just put your hand up? I'd love to be able to pray for you this week. Just stick it straight up. God bless you. 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 God, thank you that you meet us in the low. Thank you that we're not abandoned or neglected but you're there. God, give us eyes to see and ears to hear your presence in the pain. Lord, I thank you for my brothers and sisters today, and I pray that out of this hour would come beauty for ashes and hope for the future. I pray these things in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit, and then in the name of the God that loved Joseph and loves us. And we pray these things in your name. Amen.